0: Morning. And if you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, please wave to one of the men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and uh, they'll put one in your hand. It'll be marked to our passage. We like people to hear the Word, but we like people to see it with their eyes as well. And if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. As we're kind of turning there as well, <clears throat> we've just about got all the <clears throat> dotted all the I's and and uh, crossed all the Ts on. Being able to formally announce next Sunday uh, a <clears throat> footsteps of Paul tour uh, in uh, uh, March of next year, and then uh, one year following that will be the next Israel trip. <clears throat> so everything's Lord willing, but that's what's been worked on. I'll explain a little bit more about why uh, uh, next week, but to put it in your thinker and in your heart in the meantime. Okay, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 10. Paul writes, and he, by the Holy Spirit, and declares, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. That's as far as we'll get uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the compass that it is. Thank you for the anchor that it is. Thank you for how it is the plumb line for our Christian lives and our personal lives tells us the truth and where life is found and where it's meant to be found. And we thank you for this revelation and we pray that you would open up these three exhortations from your throne to each one of us this morning and give them application to us as a church and also individually in our walk and relationship with you. And we pray for that work of your Holy Spirit this morning in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Please be seated. As we've been separated now about a week from uh, being in this series, we do want to maybe take a moment to remember that uh, in studying chapters 12 through 16 uh, of the book of Romans, we're studying, as Paul put it in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, the only reasonable response of a Christian to God in the light of the gospel, in the light of the salvation and the forgiveness of sins that he has provided to us and that he's detailed so uh, wonderfully in chapters 1 through 11 uh, of, of the book. And Paul began this uh, description of this response to uh, a reasonable or a logical response to what God has first done for us, exactly where we would have expected him to begin, and that is by calling us in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Of course, that only raises the question within our mind, and that is on a practical level, what does living a life as a living sacrifice look like and so for the remainder of virtually the remainder of these chapters 12 through 16 the apostle paul gives us a description of what Uh, being a living sacrifice looks like. And uh, he's answered for us thus far as we've seen in verse 2 that it means uh, refusing to be conformed or to be fashioned by the world. Again in verse 2 that it means being transformed by the renewing of our mind. In verses 3 through 8 he talked about the fact that it means that us as Christians will have a very, very uh, deep and active concern for the health of uh, the church and, and to express that concern for the health of the church and using our spiritual gifts that God has given us and engaging in the area of Christian service that he has called us to. And then it means, as we saw uh, last time or the time before in verse 9, loving one another as Christians without hypocrisy. Uh, and then in verse 9, it means abhorring what is evil and it also means clinging then to what is good. And it is important to remember that in verses 9 through 16 of of, uh, this chapter, Paul is describing what a living sacrifice looks like and how it is uh, to manifest itself in a Christian in our relationship, not supremely with the world. Uh, but in our relationship with one another uh, as Christians. And so we continue our study this morning in in verse 10, where Paul says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly uh, love. And here Paul now, he returns. He talked about love in verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. He returns now to the subject of love in in verse 10, uh, and our love for one another as Christians. But here in verse uh, 9, he spoke about uh, the agape love as we studied it there. But here in verse 10, he introduces two entirely different Greek words to describe the love that we are to have for one another uh, as Christians. And when he uses the term kindly affectionate, it comes from the Greek word storgos, uh, which is the love of the family unit. It is the love that holds a family uh, together. It is the natural love that we have uh, for our relatives. It is the love uh, that a spouse has toward uh, their spouse and and supremely the love that a parent has uh, toward their children. It's interesting, the Bible says that in the last days, uh, men will be without natural affection. They will be a storge, without this love. In other words, one of the marks of the last days will be uh, the collapse of the expression of this love, this love that holds a family together, and of course, uh, with it, the demise of the family unit, which we see occurring uh, uh, before us. And so this, he calls on us to have, be kindly affectionate toward one another, and that's the word that he uses. The wo- other word, he, he talks about brotherly love in the same verse. That comes from a different Greek word, the Greek word Philadelphia, which speaks of a brotherly love, the love that we have and we feel for a brother. Both of those words are intended to drive home a single point because they're related to one another. And and, uh, they speak of a family love that we're to have for one another uh, as Christians. And when we talk about loving one another with agape, as we did a few weeks ago, uh, so often a person can look and say, well, I know the Bible in terms of uh, what a challenge it can be sometimes to love one another with an agape love. So, uh, Oftentimes we will try to find refuge in, in uh, uh, telling ourselves, well, God calls me and tells me that I'm to love my fellow Christian, but he doesn't call me uh, to like them. And, uh, and of course, uh, that is in the Bible. You'll find it in 1st Thessalonians. Uh, it's right there in bold print where anyone can see. Well, we all understand that sentiment, don't we? We all understand, well, okay, God calls me to to love my fellow Christian in this kind of supernatural way and all, uh, but really I don't have to really like uh, 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 any of them and uh, have this kind of, of fondness and uh, but paul uh, takes us even further than agape and he says we're not uh, he calls us to not only love one another with agape love but we're also to be fond of one another as well And the whole point that he's making, and it's an important one, is that we need to take care of one another like a family. And not necessarily by family as it's defined in the United States of America or the Western world, because that's a very flimsy definition, a moving definition of family. Paul's talking about ancient Middle Eastern family unit where they held together through kind of thick and thin and held through... Uh, everything. And so the necessity of taking care of one another uh, like a family, because as Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, we are a family. He declared in chapter 3 of that uh, letter, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family, talking about Christians, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so Paul is declaring that in our interactions with one another, that every Christian is intended to experience a a warm family acceptance from other Christians. Uh, Anywhere we run into each other individually, and certainly anywhere that... Uh, in any church that uh, they attend. And the fact of the matter is that each of us, as Paul speaks to us, he doesn't say, Now listen, I'm going to take the elders and the deacons and leadership of a church aside and talk to them a little bit about this, and the rest, every other Christian, doesn't have to really give this any consideration. He writes this to every single Christian. It's not the responsibility of some select few or some 20% within a church, but it's the responsibility of every single Christian in the whole world and every single member of every single church uh, in, in the whole world. Every single one of us plays uh, a part in making church a very warm, loving place for everyone who comes. And it's really important to let that sink down uh, into our spirit into our thinking about our own personal relationship with God and relationship with the church and, and to realize that being this, and not somebody else being this to me, but me being this to others and me being a part of uh, producing this environment within, uh, within a church that it is a non-negotiable responsibility for every single uh, Christian. I think it's very, very easy to allow our very, very fast-paced, uh, efficient, uh, individualistic American culture to define us in this regard and to define a church in, in this way. And so church, in the light of our culture, how fast we move, how efficient we are, uh, its uh, church can so easily become something that we do on a weekly basis that uh, certainly involves only worshiping God in song and in the study of His Word. Uh, but it doesn't—it uh, doesn't have any kind of meaningful uh, relational aspect to it. The church is all about me and my relationship with God. It's all about the vertical, but really uh, has, uh, in terms of, it has nothing to do with the horizontal. Uh, of of my life at all. Or church can become supremely uh, about me, all about me. What did I get out of it? I judge the church in that way. And so I can dash in and dash out as fast as I can uh, concerning uh, the church services and the meetings. And church becomes so efficient and so individualistic. These are marks of the United States. That uh, we get a church service down efficiently to an hour and a half. Or some places they get it down uh, to an hour. I don't know how you accomplish anything in in an hour. Uh, But uh, you can come into a room. We can come into a room and engage meaningfully uh, with God and worshiping Him in song and worshiping Him in the study uh, of His Word. That can be done in an hour. It can be done in an hour uh, and a half. But the relational side of Christianity, the relational side uh, of a local church, uh, doesn't operate that efficiently. Uh, Maybe you've noticed that uh, relationships aren't efficient uh, things. Uh, They're uh, kind of uh, time-consuming. and uh, sometimes we don't get out of those relationships the time that we uh, put into them. And so what we have and what we, how we view Christianity or how we view a local church, sometimes you just have to stop and realize how much of it is dominated by cultural definitions, what Christianity has become under our culture, as opposed to uh, what it actually is described as uh, in the Word of God. And so it's good to be reminded that it isn't just enough for a church to be a warm and loving place uh, for me, and uh, but that I have a responsibility to make it exactly that uh, for others as uh, well. And I think it is important for us as Christians in the United States. It's where God's called us to uh, uh, live His kingdom and expand His kingdom, but for us not to wait until we are a very small persecuted minority, uh, like the church in Rome was, before we come to understand uh, how important each Christian is, uh, what a miracle each Christian is, and how ultimately in the, you know, long ebb and flow of life and interaction with one another in a church that ultimately we come to need one another uh, sooner or later in, in, in a local uh, church and to, to realize and to come to appreciate every single Christian that exists and to recognize the love and the friendship that we, we need from one another. And we have the blessing of coming uh, living in a country that has a, a Christian heritage and a Christian foundation, and there are still large numbers of Christians. And, and to appreciate that and, and uh, to thank God for that but then, at the same time, to not get fat and sassy spiritually uh, in this way and make it a, you know a bless me club or an i me my club and, uh, and to forget how important this horizontal relationship side of a local church is in Christianity is, is as as well, and to not, again, not wait until we 're uh, massively few in number to recognize how much we really do uh, need one another. I don't know if you've noticed it, but this world is a very, very uh, lonely place. It's, wh- it's a real crisis. I, we talked about it a number of months ago, but uh, in England, in fact, it's, it, it has reached such an epidemic issue uh, that they added a, a, a new uh, cabinet uh, 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 department in England And it is, uh, 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 this is the director over loneliness. Uh, the, the, and not only because of the impact that it 's having uh, upon individuals, but they see how devastating this is now, even upon the nation as a whole. The world that we live in is lonely it 's compartmentalized people are attached to technology they're, uh, they're, uh, we get into these small little uh, little world and little places and and uh, And the world is becoming an increasingly detached, individual, lonely kind of uh, of a place. And it's a world that is full of suffering. Nobody escapes it. Life is hard, uh, this side of heaven. And because these things are true, and if you've never experienced these things in your life, uh, they're coming, and you'll discover how uh, prevalent this kind of thing is. But because these things are true about life, for the overwhelming majority of us, there is this need, and God knew it ahead of our understanding uh, that the need even exists. There's this need for meaningful spiritual relationships. And, and there's a need in our lives for people who really care about us uh, as Christians. You go into any church in, in Modesto, You go into any church in the world, doesn't matter. You go into this church, any church, and so many people on any given Sunday morning, absolutely brokenhearted over something that has happened within a week or within a a month or within a year or ten years uh, of uh, of their life, lonely, abandoned, very often because of their stand for Christ. And living for God. You live for God and, and being faithful to what God has called us to do and to stand upon the truth that He calls us to stand on. And if that hasn't cost you a relationship yet, even a dear relationship yet, I don't know. But it does. It ends up costing us. And this is the, this is the reality. Not just the general loneliness of the world, but we face it on a level that the world doesn't even know yet. And God knows that we do, not only in ancient Rome 2,000 years ago, but even today. And it looks as if it'll only uh, get worse. You think about how many lonely people there are in the world. I mean, the Beatles spoke about it, didn't they, in that one song, Where Do They All Belong? And uh, they belong in church, don't they? Uh, but, But when a Christian gets cut off, in, in, in terms of relationships in their life because of their love for the Lord, because of their truth stands as a result of their relationship with the Lord, now they can become lonely on a level that the world doesn't even know about loneliness. It's another degree uh, of loneliness that, that they experience. I think about how many people on any given Sunday morning, the room is filled, or this church is filled with them, People with cancer, with other uh, diseases. How many people live with chronic pain? How many, so many people under the weight of enormous pressure uh, in life, at work or financial pressure or the pressures within a marriage at the moment or the pressures of raising children, in this culture of uh, Western culture. Western culture is so uh, concerned about the declining birth rates, and yet they won't look in the mirror related to it. I mean, who in the world uh, so often, what thinking person? The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply, so do that. We don't deal with it on the basis of logic and rationale but who in the world looks at the culture that we live in in the Western world and says, yes, I'll be very glad to bring children into this environment and then have to fight the entire Western culture in raising them in the things of, of the world. Or even if you don't know the Lord, I'll raise them for 18 years and then they get turned over to you to destroy with every temptation that you fail to protect your people from. It's no marvel that people are not having children in the light of the far beyond finances, in light of the challenges of raising them, even surviving ourselves in the nonsense of, of Western culture. And so the challenges that every single person that raises a child in the things that the Lord faces and is going through uh, on a weekly basis in attending uh, church... And the whole thing ebb and flows in, in life. And there are times in my life, and it's true of your life, at one point I'll come into a church and I'm weak. And I'm desperately in, lo- in need of this kind of brotherly love being extended Uh, to me. And then there are other times where I'm not as needy. I'm uh, feeling my uh, Wheaties and doing good and I'm feeling strong. And so that's a season in which now I need to look for the people who are now in the condition that I was once in in need of love and brotherly love, friendship, relationship, and to be that. One of the problems that happens, it's a temptation in my life, but I think it's in all of our lives is that when we're healthy, when we're strong, when we're doing good, when we have these uh, broad margins within our life as Christians and we don't sense a need for these, uh, these kind of things from, from other people and we're experiencing this strength, then we go on about our own way and we don't realize we are strong now for a time in order that we might then be strong in other people's lives. And that right around the corner we'll be weak again, and we'll be depending on the fact that they won't use their strength to just walk into a place and rush to their car immediately uh, after the service, but look to minister to my, my need. And the whole thing goes around in a circle in that way. And to realize the priority that this is to God, and, and, and the need that, that each of us have uh, in, in this regard. I don't think it's a bad idea in the light of all of this to consider individually as a Christian. You don't need a badge. You don't need a hat or a vest or anything like that, but just to come to church uh, 20 minutes early and uh, with the idea of just saying hi to some people before everything gets rolling and uh, just to see if they're okay and just to make sure that they feel at home and and uh, feel that somebody loves them and cares about them today you may be the uh, the, the the first uh, friendly voice that they'll have uh, had spoken into their life in an entire, a, a, entire uh, week, to begin a friendship, or uh, to purpose to stay 30 minutes after a service, to do uh, the same thing, or I think to, de- uh, to determine in the light of Paul's exhortation here, to say, you know, I, I, in terms of the church that I go to, I, I'm not going to take more from any spiritual gathering In terms of this love, in terms of friendship, I'm determined never to take more of that from that church and from those people than I give back to somebody or some group of people within that fellowship. I realize this is a back and forth kind of thing. Nobody likes to be in a relationship that's all one-sided. There's no health to that at all. And to determine, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist the temptation of the culture to turn church into a bless-me club. And I realize that there's not just a taking, but there's a giving side to, to all of this. And... And to determine individually that, no, I'm, in the light of this exhortation, I'm going to make that kind of change in, in my life. And I'm not going to come to church, perhaps, to think without... Uh, greetings somewhere between two and five people and and making sure that two or three of them are people that I've never said hi to uh, before. How easy it is for us to gravitate to the people that we already know and to say well i'm fellowshipping i'm investing in relationship yes but if i'm investing in relationship in a relationship that's already healthy already strong they don't need anything from me what about the 20 percent of the people that are brand new to any church in a given year that are looking for this same thing that unless i break outside of my boundaries of these existing healthy relationships where they really don't need anything from me to make it through the next week to find out And and to interact with somebody for whom it may make all the difference in the world uh, uh, for them. Or to leave, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in my schedule as I consider uh, going to church, to say, I'm going to leave that kind of time, I'm not going to rush off as I'm prone to do, but leave that kind of time in my schedule, in my mind. Costco will wait uh, and um, to have a meaningful conversation with someone, where if I say hi to somebody, and how are you doing, and what's new in your life, where I could actually spend 10 or 15 minutes listening to them, and then uh, praying uh, for them. And Again, you don't need a counseling degree. None of us does in order to do that. All we need is just to care. And I think that very often that's all that people are, are looking for. They, they, they already know only God can fix their problems. And they already know that. They're, they're not bringing that expectation to us by and large. But what they do want to know in the midst of getting from this place in their problem to God fixing it, they've got enough history with God to know that that's, that's going to occur. But they do want to know that somebody cares about them while that is happening. I wouldn't know how to, what percentage to put on in terms of the counseling that I've done through the years. It certainly wouldn't be a majority, but it would be significant of how many times somebody has come in at an appointment and they've met with me and to sit down and begin to talk about what it is that's on their mind and all. And in the entire counseling session, it dawns on, me, on you almost immediately, these people already have it figured out. They already know what's going on here. They already know what God is going to do. And and, and all they wanted to do is just to come in and know that somebody cares about them in the meantime. Somebody knows that they exist. And that's a real need in all of our lives. There's the old story about the little boy who was frightened one night during a, a big thunderstorm. And he terrified, he cried out to his from his room uh, to, to his father in the other room. And he said, Daddy, I'm scared. And his father, not wanting to get out of bed, uh, he called back. He said, Don't worry, son. God loves you and will take care of you. And there's a moment of silence. And then the little boy said, I know God loves me, but right now I need somebody with skin on. And, uh, and I've certainly felt that. And it illustrates the point that Paul is making exactly we know that God loves us. We know that He cares for us. And, uh, and he, we know that He's going to take care of things. But I just need to know that somebody with, with skin on them at the moment uh, cares about me as well. And, uh, Paul speaks this to, to all Christians in uh, in this regard. Again, it, it's not just to the pastors or the leaders of the church or uh, it, 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 or the staff because the church doesn't belong to the pastors. It doesn't belong to the, to, the, to the staff. We have our place in all of this. But no staff or no pastors can provide the, the, what can only come from the congregation in this this regard. It's what I affectionately call the power of the pew. Uh, There are things that happen within the the horizontal dynamics of our relationships with one another in a church that... That, that meets a need only when this is healthy and, and, uh, and, and understood in our lives as, as as Christians. And I want you to know that I, I do not address... This is why I'm so glad to just head right through the Bible. You address things that you might not uh, otherwise if you were just picking and choosing uh, verses from here and there in, in 66 books that make up the Bible. But I, I'm not uh, addressing this here this morning in any way uh, accusing at all. If I've come across that way, I certainly apologize for that. Uh, I think that this church is, is is tremendous. I mean, you think about how many people—children's ministry, through youth, everywhere, men's ministry, women's ministry—all over the place—in our Sunday gatherings that give themselves to this very kind of of thing, and, uh, uh, and, and and so many doing it, but what if the number doubled? What if it tripled? It certainly wouldn't do any harm, uh, would it, in the health of the body. And the world's only going to get worse. It's only going to get more lonely. It's only going to get harder, as I understand the Bible, as it talks about the days before uh, Jesus' return. And this will only become more and more important. And so, why wait five years until we're pushed into this out of necessity, or one year or ten years, and to look at it and say, no, I see here this is what it's always been. It is to be in every uh, part of the world, and I want to make this a part of my Christian life uh, uh, here uh, this morning, if it's lacking in in terms of even uh, something, an expectation of myself that I bring uh, to attending a church. if you you lack this kind of of friendship and this kind of relationship uh, in a church, and uh, specifically if you lack this kind of a relationship, friendship relationship in this church, I would just uh, strongly encourage you um, uh, to join a home fellowship. Uh, Become involved in the women's ministry. And one of the small groups that are part of the women's ministry or the men's ministry or one of the many, many ministries that meet throughout the week where the group of people is a smaller group of people, somewhere between uh, 10 and 30. And instead of coming to church on a Sunday morning, which is wonderful, we need to do that. And saying, now I'm trying to connect here with people Uh, We're a church that numbers in the hundreds and every time I come to church, I'm around uh, different people. It's difficult to connect. And it is difficult to connect. But if I find myself in a home fellowship or in another one of these smaller settings and I'm around the same 10 to 15 people week in and week out, it's so much easier then to develop this kind of friendship and this kind of relationship. And so uh, don't get frustrated and, and judge the entire church on the basis of the Sunday mornings or any church on the basis of the Sunday mornings. It does what it does, but it doesn't do everything that is needed in a Christian's life and needs to be healthy within a church. These other things meet these needs uh, as, as well. And as you're in- engaging in that smaller group of people, uh, then you'll see you'll begin to get to know people. They'll begin to get to know you and, and then grow relationally in that way. Christian service is a great way for that to happen. And an awful lot of deep, meaningful relationships occur uh, uh, with the parking lot team or any kind of team within the church. Because you're, we're serving, we're in contact with each other week in and week out. We get to know one another, a little bit about one another's life, where we've come from and all. And then pretty soon there's a relationship there. And then one day I hit a bump in my life, and then I discover my deepest relationships were, uh, within the church are those men and women that I'm serving with. And then to be able to say, listen, I hit some trouble here in my life, and would you pray for me? And the relationship is already developed there for that to happen uh, Immediately, and it's so important that every one of us is Christians. And again, this uh, we have to fight the culture in in all of this. But for each of us uh, to have it somewhere between three and five uh, very current, uh, meaningful spiritual relationships in our life, and and to have those developed within our life before the crisis has come. Uh, uh, within our, our life, and, uh, and, and, and before we're needing this kind of spiritual support, that the difficulties of life come our way. And then, in, in not only to have three to five people that are like this in my life, that I, at the drop of a hat, I could pick up a phone, they know who I am, I know who they are, and I could say, Would you please pray for me? Or this has just happened in my life and my, whole, my head is spinning. How do you see this biblically? What would you say to me in this situation? And we all need that kind of relationship within our life. But we also need to be that in, in other people's lives uh, a, as well. Very often I'll pray with someone, and most often they're in the middle of some, just some horrible, terrible, uh, deep trial. A very deep pit, and, uh, or very often they're in the midst of, of a spiritual warfare that is just crushing and uh, easily recognized for, for what it is. And very often I'll say to a person like that as I'm praying with them up in front maybe after a Sunday evening, and, and I'll say, do you, do you know uh, somewhere between three and five Christians who are prayers? that you can call and contact now to begin to engage in prayer in this situation. You need more than your own intercession here. The Bible says that we uh, there are burdens that we carry alone in life. They are ours. They are between us and God. They don't get shared with other people. But the Bible says there are other burdens in our life that uh, we bear with one another and so fulfill the law of Christ in doing so. And thankfully, most often, someone will say, "Yes, I do know. I do have three to five people like that in my life." Great. Then get on the phone to them and ask them to pray for you, at least daily, and as the Holy Spirit would lead, related to the situation that you're in. You need more intercession than you have. Of course, our prayer chain is great uh, for that. But before the crisis comes, before the difficulty comes, before the pit comes to have this in place, and that's intended to be in place in every single one of our lives as Christians, to be that kind of knit with the body of Christ, but then also providing that uh, to others, and this is what Paul is saying. This is the dynamic that's intended to be a part of our lives. He goes on in verse uh, 10 and says that we're uh, in honor, we're to give preference to uh, one another. And uh, this this exhortation provides us with what I think is a very, very vital key uh, to living at peace with one another as Christians. Uh, Despite all of our diversity, we don't all have the same personality. Uh, Tom, uh, Pastor Tom spoke about this last Sunday night. We don't all have the same gifting. We don't all have the same uh, calling. We don't all have the same perspectives. There's a lot of diversity in the body of Christ, and that is a good thing. There's There's hopefully a lot of diversity within any local church. It's an important thing, but the diversity of our lives sometimes can be uh, uh, create a tremendous challenge to, uh, to unity and uh, living at peace with one, one another. And, uh, and, and, and this is a, a subject that Paul addressed in terms of the diversity within the body of Christ and the challenge that all of this is in, in, in verses 4 and 5 earlier in the chapter. But behind Paul's exhortation here, there's this acknowledgement it's an unspoken acknowledgement that this isn't always easy it's not always easy to uh, to live in peace with every single uh, christian again given the broad diversity of people that make up the body of christ as a whole or even within a, within a local church and, and and this diversity can tend to kind of fragment a church this is where cliques come from where everyone with the same personality hangs out together everyone with the same gifting they hang out together within a church everyone with the same calling they all hang out uh, together uh, within a church. And so uh, rather than recognizing this diversity is something that is needed, I need to be engaged with people that are different than me. I bring something to that relationship. They bring something uh, to me. Who would want to be around? Every, uh, everyone that was exactly like us. How in the world would we uh, learn anything or be stretched in, in, in any way? And uh, but this can this kind of thing can fragment a, a, a church into kind of uh, warring factions. I mean, even and even factions that develop over spiritual issues. It happened in the church at Corinth, and Paul writes to them. And he says, "It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, uh, of those uh, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you." And now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of the Lord? And, and uh, again, this exhortation to, in honor, give preference to one another, it's a key to living at peace with one another despite all of our differences within the church. And there needs to be differences. Uh, within the church. That word honor that he uses, it, it, it just simply speaks of showing respect toward other people, showing respect uh, toward one another. Literally, it means to treat as valuable. When he uses that phrase giving preference uh, to uh, one another, that means that each of us should take the lead in showing this respect or this honor uh, to one another. And that's, uh, that is a big thing that Paul is is declaring here in this. He's not just saying here that, uh, that we are uh, to, uh, in honor, give preference to one another. What he is saying is, do this, but don't wait for other people to do it to you before you do it to other people. Uh, he, he is declaring that it is something that we are to initiate and to set the tone in any relationship in our life in the body of Christ. Uh, whether, uh, whether anybody shows that to us or whether we wait and say, well, as soon as they do it to me, then I'll do it to them. And that's an easy thing to do. We're very self-protective. And uh, so we can come to church, come to church for months, come to church for years. And uh, though we don't, don't stand in the fellowship hall and have our arms crossed like this, you know, and give off the vibe, we still give off the vibe. I'm going to be nice to somebody around here as soon as they're nice to me. I'm going to show respect to people around here as soon as they show respect to me. And everybody's waiting on the other person uh, to do that. And what Paul is saying is, don't wait uh, for this to be done for you. You initiate it. You make this a part of your Christian life and, and the Christianity that looks like Christ even if nobody else develops that within their Christian life. And I don't need to tell you, that's a good word, and that's an important word for us to hear uh, in our lives, because we do have that tendency to say, well, I'll be, I'll be glad to, uh, to uh, respond, but I will not initiate not even in a church environment, not even in a, in a spiritual uh, environment. And so uh, everyone becomes kind of cold and standoffish and, uh, because this failure to treat one another with respect, to treat one another as valuable. It, it, it makes the, the total difference in the atmosphere of a church And it makes all the difference between a church representing what jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day to bring into existence in human history this thing called the church the body of christ and and being what he intends it to be and then being something that's that's colder than any civic group that knows nothing of god or has no presence of the holy spirit Uh, within, uh, within their midst. Paul wrote very much the same thing in his letter to the church at Philippi. And in doing so, he provides us with the highest motivation for living what Paul is talking to us about here. So, well, why should I do that? Because Christ did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for the whole world. The highest motivation for living this isn't what I'm going to get out of what the, the respect and honor that I show to other people. The reward is that I get to be like Christ in the world and in the body of Christ. And Paul declared, and as he wrote to that church at Philippi in chapter 2, he said, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's mutual respect toward one another. And he said, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ. It's in that same letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi uh, that he wrote in in chapter 4. He said, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind. And I also, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. It appears that these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, that they had a personal conflict that was going on. And it was dominating the spiritual atmosphere of the church at, uh, at Philippi. And, uh, and it was marring the, uh, the peace of the church, it was marring the witness of the church uh, within the community. And, uh, and the resolution of, uh, of that conflict between these two women uh, was one of the chief reasons that Paul wrote the the letter of uh, uh, to the church at Philippi. They were not honoring uh, one another. They weren't giving preference to one another. I remember many, many years ago hearing a, a pastor teach on this conflict between Euodia and Syntyche, and... Uh, and uh, uh, the two women, and he renamed them, you odious and soon touchy. And, uh, and I thought it was very, very clever, uh, and, and very, but not just clever, but very, very helpful in, in observing that much of the trouble that occurs between Christians, it occurs because one of them is being uh, too odious, and the other is being soon touchy. But whether uh, someone is being euodious or I am being soon touchy, the solution Paul declares here is to, in honor, give preference to one another. And, and to have uh, the church, and the church uh, uh, that is the body of Christ in the whole wide world, or within the local church, for it to be a place Where people for all their diversity, for all of uh, their uh, quirks, for all of the the differences of personality, that when a person interacts with the rest of the body of Christ, that it's a place where they are treated with mutual respect and they are treated with kindness. And, And this is what... Paul says, is to mark our relationships with one another as Christians. I was going to move on to not lagging in diligence, but I'm out of time. Some of you said, well, when has that ever stopped you? Today. Why I ought to... Violates the whole sermon, doesn't it? But one of the things that I love about these exhortations of Paul in, in all of this is it just makes me stop I'm, I am almost 64 years old. I'll be 64 this, this month. That's, a, that's older than a lot of you, and it's younger than some of you. And I, and I look at my life, of course, uh, the way that you do at this age, and you realize you've, you've only got so much time out ahead of you. And that may be only five minutes. But, but the desire uh, to look and say, I don't want to waste my time living a culturally defined Christianity. I don't want to waste the rest of my life living a Western-defined Christianity or even a self-defined Christianity. But to really look at even these two exhortations that we've seen this morning and to say this is what Christianity really is and this is what our relationship with one another is really supposed to be, and then to ask myself not whether everybody else is being that to me at the moment, but to say, is this really a priority in my Christian life, or does it even have a place in my Christian life? And if it does, great, then it's just an affirmation of how important it is. And we all need affirmation and encouragement in the good things that we're doing. But if we look at it and say, no, man, my Christian life has just come in, get what I want and get out, there, there is nothing horizontal toward the body of Christ as a part of my Christian life. And to stop and realize I'm missing it. I'm missing what it's intended to be. And, and it can keep an individual church. I don't say that it's happening here. But it can keep any church from then becoming what not only the world needs when it finally comes to realize it needs Christ, uh, but what each and every one of us needs as Christians from uh, one another. Beautiful, beautiful exhortations and encouragements of the Apostle Paul. If you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, there's a, a very simple way to take care of that, and that is to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins Repent of those sins and be born again by the Holy Spirit. And there'll be pastors and other men and women up in front this morning who would love to pray with you to experience a spiritual birth that is every bit as real as the physical birth that you experienced. And it's all sitting there and waiting for you. And a relationship with God that is found in that. If you need prayer for anything this morning, these same men and women would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your truth and and just the clarity of it, the simplicity of it, the depth of it, the wisdom of it, Lord. How the truth of it just rings true in our spirit. And we pray that concerning these two exhortations of Paul that came to us by Your Holy Spirit, that if this is something that is not a part of our individual lives and not a priority as a Christian, Lord, that uh, this morning, this time in Your Word, would speak powerfully and in a way to change our lives so that this is a significant and effectual part of our influence for you, Lord, within a local church. We commend these two encouragements and exhortations to the continued work of your Holy Spirit uh, in our lives this morning. We bless you and we thank you for your word, the privilege of being able to study it. Thank you for meeting with us this morning as we have. And we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. On Sunday night